0: Welcome to episode ninety something of ninety some odd ninety some odd of the Cigar Snob podcast. I am Nick Jimenez, and that was Petey. That was Petey, (laughs) and I'm here with Petey the dog,
1: Eric Caruvino. What's happening, y'all? And Ivan Ocampo. Good day, everyone. Good day (laughs) indeed. I wish you know. I wish we had the camera set up. We want to do that. (laughs) We want to do cameras for these podcasts. I wish we would have had a camera on Ivan. It was a painful, how are you? Good day. <laughs> what did you say, good day? It was, <laughs> but it looked—it was pain in his face. Good day, indeed. So,
0: on this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking a bunch of sports stuff. We're also going to be talking about uh, hurricane things. Uh, actually, two different kinds of hurricanes. Um, and then we have a, uh, something a little different. We have an interview with a guy who made a humidor.
1: Oye, <laughs> for <a human> <laughs> <door>. <laughs> <coughs> And <Yeah>. some
2: flema.
0: <laughs> so all of that on the other side of the break, along with our featured cigar of the episode, which is something Camacho. But first, a word from episode sponsor Drew Estate. Introducing the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro, which features
3: a dense plantation-grown Matafina wrapper over a Connecticut River Valley broadleaf binder with fillers from Nicaragua. Showcasing the floral and earthy Brazilian Matafina tobacco with unique texture, the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro is manufactured at La Gran Fábrica Drew Estate, blended by Willie Herrera and presented in five vitolas. It's now available at Drew Estate retailers nationwide.
0: Okay, on this episode of the podcast, we are smoking something that Yami brought back with her from the Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival. It is the Camacho Distillery Edition Ecuador. It is uh, familiar with the Camacho Ecuador.
4: Yeah, of course. This is the Distillery We've rated it very highly.
0: This is the Distillery Edition Ecuador. It's uh, also got an Ecuadorian Havana wrapper, Brazilian Matafina binder, but then along with some of the Dominican filler, there is... A six-month barrel-aged, authentic original corojo, in the filler, uh, so you do pick up on that aroma. It's like even just before lighting. So, if you're familiar with some of the other Davidoff uh, barrel-aged products, yep. it's a similar sensation when you bring it out of the cello. Um, Ivan, where are you? Like with an this? oaky
1: barrel nut barrel. Yeah, barrel? yeah, nope. and it's and it's got that sort of bourbony sweetness to the aroma too. So I'm, for full disclosure, I am not smoking. Yeah. Uh, I am what? just getting over a cold. I'm trying to What? Kick it in the butt. So uh I don't I you know, whenever I'm I'm getting over a cold and uh and I smoke a cigar, it usually means regression. So uh so anyway, I am not smoking, so I'm going to rely on you guys for help with this. What? And I'm curious because I've been wanting to smoke that. Uh when she brought it back, she brought back this whole bag from Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. And that was uh I picked those two out out of her bag because I wanted to smoke it. Right. And instead I gave them to you guys.
2: Well, I just lit it. Um I remember liking the regular Ecuador. Let's uh let's see how this how this pans out now. So I'd love to be able to buy some and put them in my new Camacho humidor. That's Right. That that's right. That's right. Oh. You know Nick, amazing. I'm sorry. We're
1: going to screw up your Show notes. You got the the humidor you oh want an IPCPR.
2: Super awesome. Yeah? Yeah. Uh so if ever, you, nope. Nobody knows here, but we were at an event in Las Vegas during IPCPR. Um a dab it Off event and there was a raffle and I go up to get a cigar at one of the tables and Carlos goes, "You got to enter this raffle. Look at this badass humidor." And I'm like, "Hell yeah." So I put my name down in this raffle, not expecting for anything to happen. So Yeah,
1: there was like a I don't know, 300 a lot of people Yeah, more, a lot of maybe very more. very
2: cool event. Uh so they start calling out the names of the winners for this humidor. So the first person they call, call out their name. Uh, they call out once, twice, nothing. They go on to the next person. They cycle through like three or four different people.
1: Yeah, because they did it at the end of the event and a lot of people had already left because IPCPR, you have a lot of events to go to, right? Correct. And just you know, kind sure, of sure, sure. laying down the... true. The,
2: uh, however, we stayed.
1: Yeah, we did stay. <laughs> <laughs> there was free booze. There was and free booze. There was free booze and cigars. So we
2: so we stayed, and lo and behold, after the third or fourth person that wasn't there, they call out my name, and I was
1: I was shocked. My my jaw hit the floor because we normally don't enter right raffles because you know we're a vendor, so we're you know Davidoff and Camacho they advertise in our magazine, so we prefer for the people who are at the event to, you know, the retailers well, or whoever they are this, to win the raffle. This but whole this whole a little different. I was going
0: to say, this yeah. whole story is more evidence that you prefer.
1: Correct. <laughs> Ivan true. has other preferences. That's true. That's no, true.
0: not true. I,
1: I, no. I'm in the same boat. I'm in yeah, the same yeah, boat. But this one was a little bit different. I, th- I thought this one you, you know, was fair.
2: Correct. So I win. I'm very... <laughs> King in the castle. <laughs> Super happy about it. Excited. Uh... Give them my information. They mail it to me, thank God, because I had enough luggage to bring back. Yeah. So they mail me the thing. The day it's delivered UPS, it does not arrive. gets lost in UPS.
1: And there is a history of theft incorrect. from front porches my, in your neighborhood. In, in my neighborhood. Yeah. So, it, so it had been marked delivered and it just wasn't
0: there?
2: No. It said out for delivery like two or three times and it never arrived. Oh, okay. So, oh, okay, it wasn't. Okay, yeah. so I, they had to put in an investigation, whatnot. <clears throat> they couldn't find it, whatever. So Davidoff, it off, thank God. Camacho, send there's me. There's a
1: UPS driver with a really badass humidor in his house right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because
2: the box is humongous; it holds 150 cigars. Super beautiful, uh, black and gray with the big scorpion on top. It's very nice. Thank you, Camacho guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we I, need it, some. We need some pictures. I
0: like how, like understated, the humidor is. Because sometimes when, like, there's branded, they're just very over the top, and it's things yeah. that, like, yeah, if I had a cigar lounge in my home, that'd be cool. But this seems like, especially for a human with that size, it's not unreasonable it, to have it visible. No, somewhere. no, it
2: looks like uh, it's big, but it's almost like minimalist style, yeah. which would blend very well in my living room. So, yeah, yeah, it's
0: nice. Yeah, you posted it on Instagram, right? Yeah, or I don't it's know. What, I'm telling you, the I don't hardest know whether part. Whether your thing is public hardest, or
2: yeah, it is. It is the hardest part is going to be filling that sucker.
0: So, where should people go if they want to see a picture of this thing? They can go to your Instagram. Instagram? Ivano01. Is it zero? I have I, no idea.
2: No it's IvanO underscore zero one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty that's sure. That's it. So, um, go check it out.
0: Yeah, go check out the picture there and, and comment. Comment. Uh, and also, if you have the first humidor, let us know. Let us know who stole it. If You're the guy who stole it. Yeah, if you're running oh, around yeah, stealing is. humidors, I figure there's a good chance that you are part of the thief contingent of our audience so let us know yeah give us a little shout out that is beautiful man yeah good stuff cool so um we're gonna do a little bit of sports talk right so we're gonna lead not because this is most important because i'm probably the only one at this table who saw this fight uh but affirmative but because for segue purposes it made most sense to leave football for later um so we had talked about khabib norma fighting dustin poirier at UFC 242, if you were not following any of that news, spoiler, Khabib won in dominant fashion, as he has been doing for just about every fight for quite a while. Uh, there was a moment there where Poirier looked like he had stunned Khabib with a with a punch to the mouth. Uh, mouth. To the mouth. And it, it, the crazy thing about watching this guy fight, I don't know how many Khabib fights you've seen. Only the highlights that you showed me. Dude, it's like people just look afraid of him. People that normally are down to like, you know, box normally or th- like everybody changes their game plan and it's extreme caution from start to finish until he inevitably gets his hands around you.
2: What round did he win in?
0: I want to say round three. So about halfway into the third round. They're five, five minute rounds. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same every time. It's like he just exhausts you until finally, like yeah. And then your arms are by the third round,
1: your arms are too weak. The to, only thing I've seen from the highlights is that he doesn't stop coming. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just nonstop, nonstop. Well, and you know what was and interesting like here? No breather. Yeah. What was interesting here was that it, it
0: wasn't quite that way. It was. Um, I mean, once he's on you, he he doesn't let go. And the the like, if you've seen like even just you know regular uh, freestyle wrestling or whatever, and the like the best wrestlers are the ones that are able to not only execute a particular move or position, but move between them without putting any space between them and you. And that's what he does so well, right? He's, there's no breathing room. Uh, so Poirier is a boxer. I think he's a jujitsu black belt as well, but he's known more for boxing. And Nurmagomedov did a good job of keeping a lot of distance until he was shooting. And Poirier is not a kicker. So he was throwing kicks, but it's like those kicks are not going to, you know, do much. Uh, so anyway, long story short, Norma uh wins that fight. The uh, Barboza Felder rematch was also got really, really good at saying his name. I'm, I've, I've said it a bunch of times. I practice in the mirror. I think so. Yeah, uh, I would have just gone with Khabib.
2: Norma ge- Gebed- what is
0: it? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Norma Gvedadov. Gorbachev.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no- Nor Norma Gorbachev. Norma Gomedov It's, uh, it's a, No, it's... Golmedov. Gomedov. Norma Gorbachev's wife. Norma Golmedov. Norma, Golmedov. Norma, Golmedov. Norma yeah.
1: Gorbachev. Okay.
0: Uh, so. In, especially in Miami circles, which our audience is disproportionately Miami compared to other podcasts because we're here and this is where, you know, the cigars are and all that stuff. Uh, or cigar people. Yeah, I think so. Um, the, uh, baddest, Masvidal. The, the baddest motherfucker belt Ooh. is on the line sometime soon. I think it's November is when that fight's going to be. That's Masvidal Vidal Nate Diaz. Uh, I'm hoping they don't make an actual BMF belt. I think that would sort of cheapen the whole thing. Like the whole point of a fight sport is that the guy who's the actual champ is the BMF. Yeah, but that's the way that these two guys decided to market it, and I think it's a brilliant play because they're actually like they're not doing the whole "we don't like each other" thing. Their their whole shtick is we have a lot of respect for each other, and we're a couple of hoodlums, and we're gonna hurt each other, and it's gonna be super cool. And they're both talking about it that way. Like this is is gonna be. Is
1: Masvidal a hoodlum for real though?
0: He at least talks like it. I don't know where I know he's it's, from Westchester. Yeah. But Westchester is say, one of those Brendan? areas that has its little it's little pockets, not that they're the Come most now. not that they're the most and I am not
1: here to say anything about that guy cuz that guy <laughs> right, obviously right, right. no, 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 can no. kick some ass. I'm not
0: saying that there's any part of Westchester that is the worst part of Miami.
1: But Westchester is one of those parts where there's
0: there's a a sliding scale where oh. the extremes of that scale are I don't think does he call
1: himself a hoodlum?
0: Uh I don't know if he's used the word I think hoodlum. You no, he's, that. no, he's called himself a goon. Okay, yeah, but that that doesn't mean hoodlum. he's called himself. Uh, no, but and he talks a lot about like, oh, where I'm from, you know. You, if you do this, you're going to get punched. Like, I don't. I walk around Westchester, and I'm not worried that people are going to punch me if I look at them wrong.
1: Um, if you like to steal their patelito, maybe. But maybe where he's from in Westchester, maybe
0: I haven't been to his little corner of Westchester. Mm. So you know what's
2: what's just, been his best win. Uh, besides the flying kick one,
0: the one before that when he knocked out Darren Till was also pretty impressive.
2: Darren Till
0: uh, was was, was he standing ranked? up till he yeah got yeah hit. he was he was yeah yeah okay. he, he, he was uh, like on he the spe- like speculation was if, spe- if Darren Till had won that fight he would be where Masvidal is now in terms of like talk about a title title shot and all that stuff. Got it. But that division is so stacked that yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, there's another fight coming up Saturday. I will be at Taurus likely with Peter the dog. So if people want to find me, I'll be there watching Cowboy Cerrone and, and uh, uh, Justin Gaethje. So, so there's that. This has been you are only, all in on this. This has been the only Nick cares segment of the show. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the only Ivan cares. Not really only Ivan cares. This is a very interesting story. Ivan, what's going on with the Raiders and this whole Antonio Brown situation? I imagine you're not the only one who cares, but you have to be the one who's been following this the most closely.
2: I have been following it. Every single second, because it changes every single second. Right. Even uh, even
0: immediately after we put this in the notes was when I started yes. seeing the the headlines about the rape. Another stuff. one.
2: Another one. Yeah. The alleged rape. So, right. Well, the yeah. rape stuff. Like sure. allegations. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm a Raider fan. Super excited about getting the football season started with supposedly the best wide, one of the best wide receivers in the league. Uh, but yet you had to. Wonder why Pittsburgh got rid of the best wide receiver in the league for so little compensation?
1: Yeah, and, and Pittsburgh is not a team that makes mistakes no. as an organization. No, you know, for the most part, right? Right? They they make more better, more good decisions than they make bad decisions as right. an organization. Right.
2: So there was already some drama uh, happening with him to get him out of Pittsburgh. There was, there was drama with uh, Big Ben. Uh, there was drama with him missing uh, team meetings right before the end of the season. Uh, so they did what they needed to do, made a trade with the Raiders, and then they got him. So everything was fine and dandy. In training camp, everybody was really excited to see him. And he never was at camp for three days in a row. There was always something. At first, there he had uh, frostbite on his feet. Then it turned into that a hell. painful. Then it turned into a helmet issue once his feet
0: healed. So sorry, sorry to interrupt here, but I, I saw recently Stephen A. Smith doing this recap of the whole situation. I haven't seen the pictures. He mentioned his having the ugliest feet in the world. Have you seen pictures of his feet? Yeah. Are they ugly feet? B, the
3: cryotherapy treatment that went wrong. It made you have the ugliest feet on the planet that you decided <laughs> to show to everybody <laughs> as if we wanted to see that. Okay. They're
0: all, I, I don't know.
3: I
2: like it. That's very subjective. Yeah, they're,
0: they're <laughs> but they were jacked up, yeah. Well, but I, that's but that's why. Because I was thinking Stephen A. Smith is singling out this guy's feet. They must be Stephen nasty a. Smith feet. Is nasty one.
2: What, yeah, when when you're looking at a man's feet and they're all full of blisters. At a man's they're, feet. They're, they're nasty. Man feet. You know. So, anyways, he's got his foot thing going on, then his helmet thing, and then when he finally gives in and says, "Okay, I can't wear the helmet that was approved by." A, Uh, that wasn't approved by the league. I'm going to have to wear the one that everybody wears. Then he gets fined from the Raiders for missing all the practices where he decided not to show up to because of all these issues that he's had. And then he posts it on Instagram. Yep. So when he posts it on Instagram, the next day at practice, when he shows up, he goes after Mike Mayock.
1: The general manager of the the team. The
2: general manager of the team. Uh, threatens to fight him, punch him in the face, calls him a cracker, players have to pull him off.
0: These are all alleged things also, right? No,
2: this is not alleged. No, I think that was on video. No, that happened.
0: Oh, that happened. Oh, no, yeah, this is not alleged. I thought he had, like, denied calling him a cracker. No,
2: no, 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 that all happened. Okay. So, all of this happens before the start of the season, a couple days away. So, the Raiders somehow are... Well, not somehow because he had enough. They had enough evidence to be able to get out of this thirty million dollar guaranteed contract two days before the season starts and get rid. Of, get they get rid of him. So then he goes ahead. So and no po- money on the books. No money on the books. He posts this video about he's free as a bird. He's yeah, happy yeah. to get out. Like what have you? He signs with New England the day after. I, again, it's one news story after the next. Yeah, he after has the dominated
1: next, dominated the news for the last couple of weeks.
2: Goes to New England. And then the next day, now this rape allegation. So it's it's always something, always something, yeah. always something. So so now so
1: he's supposed to play against the Dolphins on Sunday.
2: Yeah.
1: With this rape allegation.
0: I don't know. Ten
1: yeah. things can happen. Yeah, who knows? Who yeah. knows?
0: So now that all that has come out, do you feel any differently about the Raiders not having him than you did when all of this began?
2: So as a Raider fan, watching the Monday night game, which was great because they played well. Yeah. After every touchdown, the entire stadium was yet chanting, fuck A.B., fuck <laughs> A.B. Yeah. So that's kind of what you feel. It's not It's not that you have, you know, any ill will against them. It's just that you're like, listen, we it's don't need you. not that we have you.
1: any ill will. Just fuck him. Fuck yeah. him. <laughs> right. We
2: don't need you. So.
1: Uh, Derek Carr looked good.
2: It was a good night on the KC, we'll see. They got a tough stretch of, of games coming up. They got, like, KC, Minnesota, Chicago, San Diego. It's a lot yeah, of good Yeah, start teams. the season
1: with two of the rivals, right? Denver, KC, yeah. back-to-back.
2: Just happy football started. That's yeah. The, that's the best, best news.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the football season, like, vicariously through Ivan's Raiders because the Dolphins are just not watchable. Yeah. Did you happen to see the video that we did uh, with Mike Beltran? I haven't. I've been. I have it like queued up, like I'm ready to watch yeah, yeah, yeah. it, but I haven't seen it.
0: So, so we'll put we'll put links to to that in this uh, in this episode's page. And also, did you guys see? I, I sent the link, but maybe you had already seen it on Lebitor. They interviewed the kid who made the it. video for Antonio Brown. I heard it. So you know the video that I'm talking about. Yeah. So they interviewed the guy that made it, and he gives the whole story of how that video came together. And the media insanity that this guy got caught up in. He's like a twenty five year old video editor and he was being cited as like the social media guru that orchestrated the move of Antonio. <laughs> 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 <That's> <laughs> and so great. So um, and then the whole speculate the whole thing about the phone call that was recorded that's it's, used in that in crazy. that video.
2: It's so crazy. So he's
0: telling the story about like they make the video and it doesn't have that phone call over it. I don't know if you've heard this story. But it doesn't have that phone call. What's the owner's name? I'm blanking now. No, it wasn't or, or the owner. Coach, I think it was Gruden. Yeah, yeah, Gruden. So Gruden uh, is, you know, they they have this phone call, but they had made a video when Brown thought he was staying with the Raiders that the whole tone of the video was very different. It was like, you know, more of a I'm a Raider. Like no, not he,
2: no, he says, I'll tell you verbatim. Gruden Gruden asks him, Do you want to be a Raider? Uh uh-huh. And then he throws it back at him and he goes. I've, I've been busting my ass no, on no, no, the no, daily but, but the first version want- of the
0: video doesn't have that. Okay. The, ver- the video that nobody's seen, it was a video from before that conversation even happened. Okay. So they had made a video when Brown thought he was sticking around. Right. They make this video. He goes back to practice because remember they had told him like not to show up for practice for a day. And when he goes back, people are telling him, oh, welcome back. We're glad you're sticking around, which is the story this guy's telling. And he's like, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? So now he's all, and he calls this video kid and he tells him, hey, I think that video was a little too positive. Let's uh, make another version. And then they have this phone call. They record it. They use it. And the kid is like, somebody tells him like, hey, are you sure that's legal? Can you do that? You need consent. It's like, oh man, yeah. He's like, well, let's just send him the video. And And Gruden apparently, they they send him the video thinking Gruden's going to say like, no, under no circumstances. Will you use that? Of course not. And Gruden apparently texts back, Awesome. I love it. This is great. <laughs> you cuz you,
2: as soon as you receive
0: that as Gruden, you send
2: that to your attorneys. Right. And then they say, "What do we do now? What do I tell these guys?" And you and the attorney say, "Tell them to run with it because now there's no way we're paying 30 million dollars for Maybe. this guy." Yeah. <laughs> Get this fucking guy out of here. Yeah. Publish it. Put it in the,
1: put it in uh yeah, whatever IMAX, you whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, on 60 minutes. Yeah.
0: So so, anyway, we'll put a, a link to that whole conversation with Uh the
1: Antonio Narciso or Alejandro Narciso yeah, is the guy's him. name? That's or Alejandro, him. yeah, sorry. Alejandro Narciso.
2: Ali Alejandro.
1: I <laughs> knew yeah, that was coming. Um,
0: so, what about the Dolphins? How, like many, God, how many, game, how how many, many games, games do they, they win?
1: Man, I even struggle to think that the Dolphins can win two. Because I just can't think of a team that's worse. Vegas, I can't, much less two teams that are worse. Vegas says three and a half. I would bet the under. Under, I would definitely bet the under. Vegas has three and a half after after this game. This no, it had to it be was, before the season. It was before. I don't think they knew just how bad they were. Yeah, I don't think anybody did. They are some kind of bad. <laughs> they, yeah. it's pretty awesome. Like the guys that that uh, you know that are starters in key positions, like linebacker and running back and stuff like that. The, those guys would be special teamers on any other team yeah. if you're lucky. So there's so, that. Yeah. So they're 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 pretty terrible. Uh, it's going to be tough, right? Like you you've basically given away uh, a very good. I'm not talking about generationally good or anything, but a very good yeah. left tackle, which are kind of hard to find. Uh, you've given that away with the hope of getting obviously more picks, which is what they got. And so the idea is you you're parlaying that into a starting quarterback for the next ten, fifteen yeah. years. Yeah does that work out right and that's the that's the interesting thing to watch over the next couple years but as a dolphin fan it makes this year as i said completely unwatchable so would you say so here's let's by the way turn, unwatchable I, I watched almost the whole
0: thing let's make this uh let's make this a thing with the listeners right do we want to do something like if we're guessing how many points they give up over the course of the whole season
1: okay that might be uh what was the first game score 59 uh the Ravens put 59 on it. The Ravens put 59. At
2: this pace, they'll score 5,826 <laughs> points against them.
0: So yeah, maybe I, let's not even see what we're giving away, but how about like if between now and the end of the month. That's, yeah, for the next month. For the next month, if somebody tweets, we'll gather
1: all of the number guesses, but if well, you We'll also We have to open it up to other other not just Twitter. Sure. So they can also email so you can also email feedback at cigarsnobmag dot com yeah. and uh and give us your your annual total points scored against the Dolphins yes. this season. I think that'll be good. You have you have about a month yeah. to give us that answer. And what do we do we want to say what we're giving away? I don't know what we're giving away. It'll be good. It'll good. be good. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be, be cigars and, and swag and maybe a humidor Isn't subscription there? maybe. Yeah, of course he'll throw in a subscription. Sure. Okay, cool. Maybe a t-shirt.
0: So we'll do all that stuff. Uh, All right. And before we move on
1: to... Is it it who nails it on the head? Or is it... Let's do whoever comes closest without going over. So someone's going to get the stuff. If you say closest without going over, someone will get it.
0: Closest even if you are over. How's that? Like if you guess 100 points over and the closest under was 500 points away. But when you do that, you open it up to a tie. Sure. Yeah. So, but you know, but it can be a tie. People can guess the same number and still be under. There's always tie possibility. That is true. But only one of them will win. Only one of you will win. Just go ahead and guess. We'll make up the rules later. But somebody will get stuff. So give us your best guess. Um, okay. One entry per person. Schmooze. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, we're gonna read a thing about El Galang before we go back to football, but this time college football. Which both of you are on the same uh, on the same train. I'd rather talk about El Galan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so El Galan cigars, the company behind its core galang El Galan line, Doña Nieves, and extensions of both, brings you Vegas del Purial. Vegas del Purial is an homage to El Galan founder Felix Mesa's paternal grandparents, Felipe and Caridad Mesa, who grew tobacco in the Cuban province of Las Villas. The cigars made at El Galan's Esteli factory and features an Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, Nicaraguan fillers, and a new hybrid tobacco called FFMC96 for the binder. It's available in four Vitolas, a 5x50 Robusto, a 5.5x52 Belicoso, a 7x38 Lancero, and a six and three quarters x 52 Super Toro. The cigar ranges in price from $8.90 to $10 per cigar, You can find El Galang Cigars on social media at El Galang Cigars or on their website, ElGalangCigars.com. That's E-L-G-A-L-A-N Cigars.com. El Galang Cigars. El Galang Cigars. All right. So, uh, as Mike says in that video that uh, I referenced and that we will link to on this episode's page on the website, we have two bad football teams. So... What are the uh, what were the thoughts of the two Canes fans as you watched the second? Debacle? Yeah,
1: so the, the the first game is different, different right? They sure. weren't expected to win, and they had uh, put in a really good effort. They should have beaten the team. Uh, they should have beaten the the Gators, but they didn't, and so it is what it is. But I I thoroughly expected them to beat UNC. Not like a blowout or anything, but I expected them to beat them. And uh, I just, they were favored. I, they were favored by four and a half. Yeah, uh, it's hard for me to think like, what if you have a decent kicker? If you have a decent kicker, you're probably two and zero right now, right? Isn't that? It's that. It's just. It's hard to to swallow that pill that if you have a kicker that can hit a twenty seven yarder. You're you're two and zero as opposed to zero and two. However, you are what your record says you are, and we're zero and two. So it's it's really uh, it's a tough time for Canes fans right now because you see the product on the field, you see it getting better, but it's not quite there. There's always a little mistake. There's always a little uh, just one little snafu that messes up that final drive or one little thing. There's always one little thing. Petey, you all right, buddy? uh, there's always that one little thing that messes up. Uh, and so I think, I think what we're looking at is a very young team, uh, that's going to take some time to mature. I, I, you know, hopefully they can, they can put together a decent enough season to keep the majority of the recruits that they've got on board for 2020. I think that should be the focus, but, uh, but yeah, they're not that far from being a, from being 2-0 and having beaten the number eight team in the country at the time. So, I don't know. How do you feel about it?
2: I feel like they need to lower their academic standards.
1: I don't think so. I think they have the talent. I think, it's, <laughs> I think they're just young. You know, like the know. Canes that have suffered from uh, kids, and this is self-inflicted. I'm not saying like uh, external forces. Uh, they've had a lot of good players leave early. Players that were good enough obviously to leave early and go to the NFL but not like they they probably hurt themselves for leaving early but all and teams so, have that though no not like that no, not not no when problem. you have like a um you have like a an okay defensive tackle who would have been a senior oh, uh no. you have an okay guard or a good center and he leaves and he doesn't even make it to an NFL team. man you should have stayed one more year what are yeah, you doing yeah i don't know so there there's a lot of those well, I mean, come on. You have the example of—I mean, this is a little bit older, but Brad Kaya left early. For, I mean, that was—that was, was a terrible, terrible move by him,
4: right? I th- he, I think plays year, anyway. he plays
1: another year. He plays another senior year anyway. Yeah, but I remember. You, you I, think all of them suck anyway? But uh, no,
2: but all the all the, I remember back in the day, it was I, they had a streak of of first round. Uh, they, picks well, going every year. But it and, wasn't but like most juniors. O- yeah, there were. There were juniors. There were, see, there was a combination of everything. Uh, and now they couldn't even sniff anybody to get drafted in the first round. There's no talent. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm disappointed totally in this team. Yeah. How's that cigar, though? I like the cigar, man. I'm getting like... Um, <clears throat> I was trying to figure out what the flavor was, but it's like a, a roasted granola. I, I can really get
0: on board with that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's very nice. So, f- full disclosure, I'm also a little bit under the weather, just a little congested. So, I'm probably not picking up on all of the aromas that we might uh, otherwise be picking up on here. Uh, but in terms of the flavors, yeah, for sure. It, it, it definitely has a, a sort of toasted uh, oat yep. sort of thing yep. to it. um and I do still pick up on some of that barrel age, uh, smokiness. smokiness in the aroma. It's, and it's got that sort of, so this is a bourbon barrel, uh, that some of the filler is aged in for minimum six months. And it does have some of that bourbony barrel sweetness. Um, again, we are smoking the Camacho Distillery Edition Ecuador in Toro, which I think might be the only size that this is available in now. I, I, I may be wrong about that, but I think it's uh it's a Toro by default, um, Yeah, super interesting. I think if you're a fan of the other uh, Davidoff barrel-aged products, like American barrel-aged, Nicaraguan barrel-aged, this is going to be right up your alley. So uh, I would recommend this. Check it out. Um, Shifting gears a little bit. Yeah, like I said, I
1: wish I was smoking it.
0: um, Shifting gears a little bit, you guys were talking about the college football thing, and you mentioned uh, college football made you cut the cord.
1: Well, yeah, so... The Hurricanes game against UNC was only televised on the ACC network, which is run by ESPN, but isn't being carried by all of the major uh, cable networks, including Xfinity and UVerse.
2: What a shit show now.
1: Yeah, a disaster, right? It's a disaster. So, because of that, I started to look at what are my options, right? Because I do want to see those games. I don't watch a whole lot of things on TV, so one of the only things I want to watch are these games, right, when we're on the road.
2: They weren't even playing it on the ACC network at first because I the know, other game was running right They were it was, playing it, it on ESPN. A it's a shit show. I know. I and know. then you're felt going the same back way. and forth, and it's like, hold on, I got this. I got this thing just I for this. I got this thing and yet just for this and it's playing it on ESPN.
1: Yeah, I felt the same way.
2: And now on the Monday night game, you're watching it, and they're like, listen, you might lose this. You might, you might lose this channel. Call your network provider. What was it on? Was it... Was it ESPN or ABC? The Monday Night Game. Uh, ESPN. ESPN. The entire time they were scrolling something uh, across the bottom. Call your call your cable provider. You're about to lose this this channel. Call it. Oh, like while, while yeah, while the game was playing.
1: I didn't even notice that, but I was watching it on my newly acquired YouTube TV. So maybe it it wasn't running on that. I don't know. Shit show. But um, but yeah. So because of this ACC network debacle, uh. It forced me to look at my options. What is it that I have right now? Blah, blah, blah. So I started to look, and it turns out I can save money, and get the same number of channels and get uh, better DVR with YouTube TV. For so, like, I, th- I think I'm saving like thirty dollars a month. It's not like yeah, it's not you're saving five bucks. Yeah, it's like thirty dollars for basically the same channels that we would watch. Are there some that we're gonna miss? That are not there, yeah, but we don't watch them, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect right, us. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, college football made me cut the cord. Uh, so I did it, and uh, I'm now happily on YouTube TV. What I did is I upgraded my uh, my internet, my speed. Yeah, and so man, it's it works great. <coughs> yeah, because you don't be love with it. buffering and all that stuff. But on I am, net, you're I am absolutely in love with it. So now we watch uh, we watch YouTube TV as our TV provider. All every so you get six accounts and we only have four in the house right yeah. my two kids my wife and I so everyone gets their own account so when you when you go to YouTube TV you can switch to right. your account that has your preferences or the things that you like to watch nice so pretty sweet like a customized little yeah TV uh experience yeah so, even, even in terms of
0: that user experience it sounds better
1: yeah i'm i'm psyched with it i'm so far i'm enjoying it uh again we don't watch a whole lot of TV but what we do watch is usually sports. Yeah. So. Uh, and, and the kids watch like uh, American Pickers and, and car related things. Cool. So. All right, and we so, have all of that. So.
0: so before we move on to uh, that interview that I mentioned, we were going to play you at the end of this episode. Uh, we're going to drop a quick mention here. There are probably other organizations out there, maybe even some in cigars. But the one that we are most aware of here, just from social media and all the rest, is uh, the CLE Foundation is uh, working to get aid materials to uh, Bahamian victims of hur- of Hurricane Dorian so CLE of CLE cigars yep uh, so this is Christian Edoa uh, and and his I presume his families or his, his company's foundation um, and I'm looking here at uh, at an image that they put out sort of letting people know how to get in touch uh, they are collecting um, relief and uh, doing relief flights to Nassau, delivering food, medicine, batteries, etc. And I'll just read directly from here. Please feel free to contact us when you have your items ready to ship, and we'll be glad to send you a call tag. CLE Foundation and CLE Cigar Company thanks you in advance. Any questions, contact Alexandra Aroa at 305-588-6383. My recommendation to people just to, for the sake of not flooding the AW with phone calls uh, for small amounts is you know if you've got like a group of guys or or gals uh, at your local shop or you want to coordinate with your shops owner your you know your friendly neighborhood tobacconist uh, that might be a good way to sort of pool people's resources get everything sure. together I in think one that's a good idea. you know uh, so yeah if you got if you're if you happen to be at your cigar lounge uh... You know, talk to the owner there if they haven't already gotten in touch with the CLE Foundation. Or if they're not already, you know, there's a good chance that they're already sending aid some other way. But if there's nothing going on there, uh, CLE Foundation is one option for getting aid to the Bahamas. You know, there's another
1: storm, like, right outside the Bahamas right, right now. Right, yeah, yeah. So Wild. About, I mean, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be powerful, but the last thing they need right now is yeah, is more stormy weather. No, no, no.
0: So. I, I, I think they would be... Freaked out about a. I'd be. I'd be freaked out about a thunderstorm, <laughs> yeah, if it was coming my
1: way. I uh, I said so in my uh, in my letter <coughs> from the publisher, um, on in the magazine that's coming out now, and uh, man, I've been impressed by the way South Florida has rallied, and and donated. I think uh, I think it was mentioned that at eleven million dollars in in donations have poured in. And I don't know how they can track that. Yeah. But uh but that was uh that was the last estimate that I that I heard. That's that's pretty serious. Yeah, yeah, Eleven million, yeah. million dollars in in food and water and, and for clothing sure. and whatever it is, is pretty impressive. So uh I am I'm I'm proud of uh I'm proud of my peeps down here. For they've sure. uh, they've stepped up for the Bahamas. All right. So uh with
0: that, we will transition. Uh actually let's just do our parting recommendations first and then end on that interview thing. That sounds good. Uh so I will lead with the party recommend... Ivan's making the... I forgot about this face. But you have a little bit to think about something. Uh, I will lead with two recommendations, with but which buys Ivan a little more time. Recommendation number one, the Joe Rogan Experience, which of course is Joe Rogan's hugely popular podcast. The most recent episode, although for all I know by the time we're recording this, they put out another one. But you can go to YouTube to watch his interview, which came out, I think, yesterday... With Bill Burr, and they're talking about all sorts of stuff. Two comedians jibber jabbering, but they're smoking cigars through the whole thing. Uh, I couldn't quite nice. tell what they were smoking, but they are smoking cigars, um, you know, which Joe Rogan generally just reserves for like when a cigar smoker comes into the show. Uh, Bill Burr obviously is one, uh, more frequent anyway. And uh, so, yeah, they're smoking cigars through the whole show, and it's just cool to, to see that out there. I mean, these are two of the biggest comedians in the game, and uh, that's what they're doing. So, check that out. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show page as well. And second recommendation, another interview, The Rubin Report, which is Dave Rubin's uh, YouTube-based uh, interview show. He did an interview with Tulsi Gabbard, who is a Democratic presidential candidate. Uh, I had seen her speak a number of times, um, but this was especially interesting, I think, because, you know, his he's got, like, a little bit more of, like, an independent shtick going, and I think she, uh, especially now that she's not making debates, I think she's become, as far as I can tell, one of the more honest brokers in uh, in that Democratic field. Not somebody who I see myself voting for, but it was like a refreshing thing in tone and in openness uh, to we'll watch. Check that out. Sort of makes you wish, like, man, I wish they would just cut the shit with all these debates with 20 people on the stage and just do this. Just do, yeah. you know, hour-long sit-downs. God knows that you're already, you know, it's not like, you're pulling time away from what? Pretending to love a hot dog at the local hot dog place <laughs> on every campaign <laughs> yeah. stop? I think this is a lot more, a much more productive way to do it. Joe Rogan also did one with Tulsi Gabbard, and sh- I, I, I was <coughs> very impressed with her there as well. So, uh, you know, again, not somebody I would vote for, but at least I came away from it thinking, like, you know what? If she was the president, I would at least, like, I'd be disagreeing with somebody I liked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: anyway. So my uh my recommend well, mine is not really a recommendation. It's more of a of a question. I uh I'm heading out to Germany in a couple weeks, and so I know Ivan. I know you, you took German in high school, and I think you failed it. Am yeah, right? no,
2: <laughs> but I came close.
1: <laughs> but uh, so I've been you know every time I go over, I go to I, I was in Austria last year. Now I'm going to Germany, and every time I'm in those Germanic countries i struggle man i can't understand any, you know like if i'm in italy i can understand a little bit of what's happening right if you're in france i can kind of understand a little bit of what's happening uh <clears throat> but man in germany i got nothing i am lost Reichenstaut. stout <laughs> and you're like what <laughs> <laughs> was was that a word or was it was no, like no, generically not, german it was sound. a combination it was a combination of uh Reichenstout. Of yeah 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 uh so anyway that shows you how little i know and, uh,
0: That's a great name for a Nazi beer. Reichenstout. Reichenstout. I like it. The third Reichenstout. The, Re- the third <laughs> Reichenstout. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah no I'm, I was gonna say something goofy. <laughs> uh, so Babel is uh, is a is an app that I downloaded, and I wanna I wanna know does anyone have any recommendations on on uh, learning a language quickly? I'm gonna go with this Babel thing but I'd love to hear if somebody has any recommendation on, you know, like what, what was the uh, Rosetta Stone, Rosetta Stone or, yeah. or those different ones?
0: I, I saw somebody on social media recommending, I think it's called Duolingo. or Duolingo. Duolingo. So Which, I'm getting my recommendations right here. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, tweet them. Tweet them at Cigar Snob Bag, right? Yep. You don't think this is a little late? It is a
1: little late. It's like <laughs> 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 it's,
2: yeah, I mean, a Rosetta Stone had three days before I had I want, I want to be
1: able to say bathroom and uh, food and water. Uh hit me.
2: A lot of a lot of words in German are very similar to English words. Uh 'cause it's like the sister language or whatever.
0: Is, is water like uh Vasa or something? Water. Vater? Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: What am I thinking I about? got water, so I got so I got that. Give me bathroom. Like for example, nose is nasen, you know, so a lot of the words are very are very similar. There's somewhere. When they start they're, talking they're, fast, there's yeah.
1: no way I understand anything. Yeah. I, I'm lost. Like I'm the guy standing uh
2: yeah, what helps is, like, I think knowing the verbs, like, uh, like I am, you will, or the, I, actually, I don't even know if they're verbs or not, but, like, how to say I am, you will, yeah. I want, uh, all that sort of stuff, that helps. But so, if you what's... pick up the I want, I, want uh, I need, you're going, you're doing, like, once you get those, you kind of understand what direction the conversation is going, even though you don't understand. So, what's, yeah, I, what's I want, do you know? Uh, ich brauche. So ich Yeah, that does sound reich- like that does sound yeah. like English. So, uh Ich brauche eine Reichenstadt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that does sound like English. You're right. So <laughs> and that concludes your German lesson for the day. Ivan, what you got?
2: Uh okay. Uh I wasn't prepared for this. But I did order pizza uh this weekend. I'm not a big Domino's fan, but I use their mobile uh ordering system and it was the most user friendly easiest thing i've ever i've ever done the pizza it's not gourmet it's not the, it wasn't terrible it was actually pretty good uh but the online ordering through my phone was the easiest thing I've ever done. I recommend using it if you want like no brain just like ordering food yeah. easy. It tells you, "All right, it'll be done in 9 minutes." I walked into the store. I walked in, they had the pizza ready for me. I just walked out. It was super smooth. How so. much is
1: Domino's paying you for this? <laughs> how much is Did Rosetta get- <laughs> How much is Rosetta Stone paying you? <laughs> Did you get a free pizza for this? No. All right. So, uh finally We didn't have to end it like that. I wasn't mad. I was joking. No, I was kidding.
0: Um, So, uh, yeah, that that concludes the normal, regularly scheduled portion of your... I just saw the...
1: uh, You just sent me the picture of... Is that Antonio (coughs) Brown's feet? Yep.
2: No, those are (laughs) nicks. Those those are my
1: feet after I did my cryotherapy. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay, so then I'm sorry. I apologize to Stephen A. Smith. I do agree with you. Those (laughs) are the worst feet I've ever seen. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, we are
0: going to conclude... With a handful of shameless plugs for ourselves, and then that interview we mentioned. So you can find us on cigarsnobmag.com/podcast. That's where you'll find all the episodes of the podcast. Also, listen to us and subscribe and rate and review us and all the rest of that stuff on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, and a bunch of other things. Uh, yeah, and follow us on social media at Cigar Snob Mag. Please do on all that stuff. Uh, make sure you go and subscribe. Eighteen bucks for the year. Uh, we'll understand if you want to hold off until the end of the cane season to see if, uh, no, or Dolphins. the dolphin season. I'm sorry, the dolphin season. See if you get your free subscription. Uh, but don't don't do that. Maybe you have too. You can never have too many copies of Cigar not Magazine, like so,
1: that. So yeah, don't forget. Give us the total points scored against the Dolphins right. for the entire season, whether by Twitter or Facebook or email. And also tell me what you uh, what you think I should use to learn German in about a week and a half. There you go. All right. So with that, here's
0: an interview uh, that I did by phone with Lee Weitzman, who is the founder of Weitzman Furniture. If you go to Weitzman, sorry, LeeWeitzmanFurniture.com, Weitzman is uh, W-E-I-T-Z-M-A-N. So LeeWeitzmanFurniture.com, the very first item on there is his William humidor. That's the first humidor he made. Uh, this was a client who's had a lot of custom pieces made for him. Uh, I believe he reached out to us, yeah. right, and let us know about this humidor. And it's a pretty beautiful-looking humidor. Uh, this guy's stuff is all gorgeous. It's like if mid-century you're, style yeah, stuff. If yeah, if you're into that mid-century modern it. look. Uh, and, and we get into a bit of that. So it it kind of makes sense. He's actually from Detroit. Yeah. Uh, so it's got that very, like, you know, golden age of Detroit kind of look to it.
1: I, I totally, I was into it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So... Anyway, with that, uh, here's that conversation, and we'll catch you next time. Auf Wiedersehen.
1: Later.
3: (laughs) Introducing the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro, which features a dense, plantation-grown Matafina wrapper over a Connecticut River Valley broadleaf binder with fillers from Nicaragua. Showcasing the floral and earthy Brazilian Matafina tobacco with unique texture, the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro is manufactured at Lagrang Fabrica Drew Estate, blended by William Herrera, and presented in five Vitolas. It's now available at Drew Estate retailers nationwide.
0: So yeah, let's let's start with talking about the the humidor, uh, the the one that I'm aware of anyway is the the William humidor, which people can find on uh, yeah. Lee Lee Weitzman and at least for the time being, right. it's, it's sort of like the first item that's highlighted there uh, tell me a bit about uh about that project from what eric mentioned to me earlier this was a, a custom request and and maybe it was your first humidor job
4: yeah yeah uh you know we i've done some other work for for this client and uh um and then he asked me hey you know he owns a uh, like a boutique wine uh and cigar uh, boutique kind of place and uh uh, he said, you know, I really want a humidor. And he, he, he was pretty specific about you know the size and you know, how many cigars you wanted to hold. But I had never you know made a humidor before, so a lot of what uh, we had to do was research, research what how do you make a humidor, what are the qualities that make up a really good humidor. So uh, you know, he, he gave me some input because he's knowledgeable about it. But but mostly we just did a lot of research, contacted a lot of people, read up on it, and uh then designed it. Okay. So basically it it became like the humidor itself is sort of a separate unit. It, so it's a box within a box. So we have the humidor which is all about airflow, humidity, uh sealing everything and, you know, allowing, you know, like for example the, the bottoms of all the drawers have slots, you know, milled into them so that even those those areas uh have uh, airflow and there's a about a two-inch uh, gap between the actual humidor box and the decorative uh, box that it, that it sits inside. So that's the way we approached it. Uh, so it didn't, it was, we could do anything we wanted with the exterior of the box, but the interior is the, the cedar box with all the properties that, that make up a, a good humidor with all the airflow and uh, the humidity control.
0: Sure, sure. So, um, you know, for, for people who maybe are have never gone out and bought a humidor or haven't bothered to look this deep into it, I imagine that, you know, in your research, you, like, you mentioned cedar a couple of times there. Tell people who maybe have never really uh, done that research, why cedar? Why is cedar such a ubiquitous material in all this cigar storage stuff? Well, it's if-
4: it's the material that everybody uses it's there's a specific type of cedar that our lumber suppliers uh uh you know provide and you know that that's what we bought it's the uh, uh red cedar is what it's called and uh it's very aromatic and uh it's um, it holds moisture very nicely uh and that's really the main properties is is the I think it's really the aroma that, that we're going after. You know, it could be any wood, but the cedar. When you put those cigars, you know, he gave me about I don't know two or three hundred cigars for a photo shoot for it, and then uh, we he left it here for probably a couple of months, and and the the, the cigars were in perfect shape when he came to inspect them. He knows you know, how to feel them and everything, and uh, they uh, and you know in the aroma, not just I mean, even without the cigars, you know, when you open the doors of this thing, it. It has a really beautiful odor uh, smell in it uh, but when you put the cigars in there combined with the, the, uh, the smell of the cigars with, with the cedar it's just pretty amazing it's really a luscious kind of uh, aroma that wraps out of the uh, out of the box right right.
0: Um, now in terms of you know you've been at this for for a long time uh, where did this project? sit for you in terms of, like, the, the difficulty uh, level of making a humidor as opposed to maybe some other, uh, some other things that you had more experience with?
4: Well, it, it, it was difficult. The, the research was, was the difficult part. And then uh, uh, there's a lot of moving parts, and the In the internal cedar box kind of has to float, you know, in the middle of, of this, this decorative box. Uh, and so, make sure we had the the right airflow and and the the humidifier itself. We had to select that, and with the it's got hands, and it a blow to blows the air around. So as far as degree of difficulty, as opposed to any other of the pieces of furniture that we make, uh, they're all Really, I mean, pretty much we invent things all the time. So uh, I mean, there are, there are repeat projects, and the more you do the same object, the easier it becomes. But uh, you know, but because you're somewhat much more familiar with it but but uh, most of the time we're doing things that that are related to the last project, but they're not the same. I mean, everybody's got a different requirements and you know and, and so that's thats that's how we we do it. Everything is is really different uh, so uh, everything's pretty much a unique invention uh, of its own.
0: So before we move on to some of those broader, uh, you know, topics of just all the other work that you do in your history right. with making furniture, suppose that somebody is interested in, you know, somebody's gone. They've looked at this William Humidor. They want something comparable. How much does that run somebody? And what's what, what is what is the process uh, entail? You know, w- w- in other words, what does it take both on the on the price side and also on the process and the design side to make something like that happen? Because I imagine this is somebody who had, you know, especially if they've uh come to you for a lot of other pieces they probably had some very specific ideas about what they wanted it to to look like
4: yeah usually, yeah usually what we do is we'll you know we'll develop you know the the original concept which is uh created by speaking with our client okay and okay what does he want and then you know we take our notes and our measurements and a lot of times we will either if it's not a local project we'll rely on photographs uh, and obtaining uh, dimensions from the clients and stuff like that. So then, uh, so then we start with that. We have the concept. We really don't know what it's going to cost. Um, but we have a, somewhat of a ballpark idea, and our heads just based on all the other things that we do. For example, a high-gloss finish is a, very expensive, and right off the bat I know that that's going to add several thousands of dollars, okay, as opposed to like an open-grain finish, which you, know, you can sort of see the texture of the wood, uh, but you don't look into it, as it's sort of like holding a rock, a stone under the water, it gets, you know, it gets quite more, you get more beauty out of it when it's wet, and so the finish sort of is like a wet, you can think of it as a wet coat, and then the high gloss finish even accentuates that a little bit more, and uh, so anyways, we start with the idea, uh, and... Usually, I give somebody, Well, I think it might be in the fifteen thousand dollar range. So just you know, clarify that we're just guessing on that, uh, but it's an educated guess. And so, usually, we ask for a design retainer of about ten percent. You know, so if we said fifteen thousand, then we would say, well, uh, if you give us fifteen hundred dollars, it'll be uh, it'll allow us to put the necessary time and the research and all the drawings and then the consultations back and forth with the client. Usually, we'll develop three or four or five different looks, you know. And then the client says, I like that one. I don't like that. I like this part of this one. So, you know, we kind of boil it down. We take what the client likes plus, you know, my aesthetic and my design team's aesthetic. And uh, then we go to work in, in creating the, the visual look of the thing. And then once we get that going, then we can start doing all our cross-sections in terms of uh, all the technical stuff about like, how big are the drawers going to be, how uh, deep is the cabinet? Is there any granite? Is there stone? Is there, you know, whatever it is, you know, and uh, and then once the product is fully designed, then we can pinpoint the exact price. And then at that point, we we offer to uh, apply the design retainer towards the purchase of the of the product. So the came up to be seventeen thousand, say, uh, or fourteen or you know, whatever it was. Sometimes higher, sometimes lower. Uh, then we apply that design retainer to the purchase of the price. So. It turned out to be seventeen thousand, and we ended up, you know, attracting fifteen hundred dollars from the original design we planned, and then that's the price. And they give us a fifty percent deposit to get going on it, and, uh, uh, and then balance at the time of completion. Sure, sure. So and let's then shipping. If there's any shipping, right, yeah. right, right.
0: So, um, are you a cigar smoker yourself or no?
4: Occasionally, I have a cigar. Uh, I try not to use too much tobacco. Uh, but I do enjoy a, a good. I used to smoke them a lot more, but uh, I kind of backed off a little bit. But I do like for a nice long tire ride or something, or or you know after celebrating or you know somebody else if you wanted a, at a wedding or you know that kind of thing. I I, uh, I don't I don't personally uh, smoke them on a regular basis, but I'm occasionally I I love a good cigar. No yeah, question. For sure.
0: Um, so tell me a bit about your, about your history. So, uh, looking at your, at your bio, you've been doing this for over 35 years. I don't know how long ago that bio was written for all I know. Uh, the number is different now. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that's about right. Uh,
4: sure. I, I'm, I'm 65 years old now and, uh, I started, uh, woodworking and design back in the, uh, like I moved to Chicago from Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, where I studied, uh, industrial arts and fine arts, and then I, you know, did my graduate work here in Chicago at the, at the University of Illinois, uh, and, uh, and I focused on sculpture, but as time went on, I, 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 I kind of got out of the, the pure sculpture part of things and, and uh, grew into, like, furniture, because that really was, really what I had been doing, and I was really good at it. I was good at sculpture, too, but, the, but making furniture is pretty much the same thing as sculpture, it's uh it's a little less open ended. I mean sculpture can be anything, you know. Where furniture has usually has some sort of main function that drives the design, but uh, it's still about the visual dynamics of of, of what, what we're doing. You know, so that's that's really what we want. That's what that's what my goal is, to make some beautiful and then to function beautifully as well. But I want it to be really amazing to look at as well without being over the top, you know, gaudy. Right, right.
0: So you mentioned, you know, the, sort of
4: a fine line. Yeah, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you were talking about the aesthetic. There's sort of, um, and and I don't know whether you would have a different preferred way of characterizing it, but you know, at least when when I look at the stuff and when Eric, uh, our publisher, was looking at it, you know, we, obviously the the sort of mid-century Art Deco sort of uh, sort of aesthetic jumps out, and and you know, and there is something sort of like uh, very Detroit. Um, and very Michigan about about some of these pieces, but how would you characterize the right. aesthetic of your work? And and I'm also curious. I, I, you know, I'm not somebody who's very very plugged into you know design trends and all the rest. But it seems to me, as a casual observer, like the aesthetic that that seems you know to to that you seem to identify with is sort of in vogue now. I wonder whether you've been doing the same sort of thing for all these decades and have. You know, sort of seeing this renewed interest in that look over the last several years.
4: Well, you know, when I when I first started designing uh, furniture, it it was a little bit more like the craftsman type of style. But as I as I sort of began to mature, it kind of evolved into this sort of like deco look. It was never intentional. I never said, you know, I want to design art deco furniture. It was never never anything I set out to do. Uh, but I obviously can see that there is a influence, and it, I, I mean, it's hard to to, to say. You know, I, mean, I grew up in Detroit, and I mean, now I've been in Chicago longer, but but you know, you don't know as a kid. These you, you look at things, and somehow I stored it in my memory bank. And I, I was never, uh, you know, a, a super creative kid or anything. I was mostly I played ice hockey. I mean, that was my. I grew up in Detroit, so I played all the way through uh, Division One in college. And it wasn't until after I graduated from college my first time which was on a, a ice hockey scholarship where I was sort of like standing there I wasn't going to play pro um and uh I was I was pretty much done with it really I mean it was just like a lot of work and it was kind of a relief to get away from it as much as I loved it but uh so I began you know to sort of just luckily or by random ended up like you know looking at the uh roommate board at the, at the college of Western Michigan in Kalamazoo and uh uh, you know, so it was like, oh, hey, here's, a, here's an apartment, I can share a house with these other people, and, and they were artists, and, uh, you know, from the art and it was just, it opened up a whole new uh, world for me, because I'd already had this really strong interest in woodworking, um, but I didn't really know where to plug it in, so as I, you know, began studying the art, I could see how I could apply my skills as a, as a technician or as a woodworker into making sculpture, and so... I just pretty much ran with that until the point where I switched, like, from, you know, being Lee Lightsman Studios, quote, uh, to Lee Lightsman Furniture, and focused uh, entirely on furniture. And stylistically, it's really, uh, it's just my own interpretation of things, and, like, they're based on who knows where, subliminal things that I saw, you know, all the automobiles coming out of Detroit, and there's beautiful deco buildings down there, so... I can't pinpoint it, but, I, you know, I was there, I was there recently and uh, you know, I, I could see where these things actually did influence me, but I was too young and unaware and I, and I never knew uh, that I was going to be a, a designer or in the arts or anything like that at that time, you know. So, um, but once I got, once I got going with the art, it was a place for me to sort of transfer my athletic uh, energy into something that that could last a lot longer, you know, unless I wanted a coach or something. The older you get, you know, and you're not going to play anymore because you just can't do it. And uh, so I look at art as something that I can just, uh, in, in furniture design, something that I can uh, just keep getting better at all the time. And, and if I'm 70 years old, I'd hope that I'm better than I was when I was 65, you know, that kind of thing. Because you just, every project you do, you learn a little bit more, you gain a little bit more knowledge and skill and, so that's the beauty of art, As you get better and you don't you don't have to quit, you know, because of, you know, the physical
0: activity. Right, right. Talk a little bit about um, uh, your your company. So you've got Weitzman Furniture. Um, I, I guess I'm just curious to know, you know, especially the scale of some of these other projects. I mean, you got like a... I think I'm looking at a 20 foot uh, table. That's just yeah. What 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 kind of team does it take to to create some of this stuff? And and I wonder what the transition was like for you of you know getting to that point where you're where your business was at a place where you know it, it couldn't just be you. Um, that's the. That, right, I, I right. think I think a lot of creative people, whether they're you know cigar blenders or chefs or in your case making furniture, I'm always interested in. In in that turning point where it's like, oh, okay, now I've actually got to run a, a business with people,
4: <laughs> right, right. And that definitely happened to me. You know, when I was when I was younger and doing every piece of my own, that was one thing. But the demand uh, was growing, and I, I just couldn't do it all myself anymore. So I began hiring people uh, to take my design, my my drawings and then to build the furniture for me. and I would still supervise it, but I wasn't the guy in there or the person in there making, making it. Uh, I was, you know, it, it evolved into me being the design, sales, and marketing. And the design is one of the, you know, so that's a real intangible. I just sort of intuitively know what to do. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, then I got help not only in the shop building the furniture, but in the office uh, doing all the design work. and. Pretty much the sales were always me. You know, and people want to buy from me. Uh, you know, although I've had help with, with that, but mostly I'm the guy that does the selling. Uh, but, it, you know, so, yeah, there is, there is a certain amount. I, at one point, we were doing quite a... We were up to about a million dollars in sales in the mid-80s, late-80s. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, the, everything every, everything, changed when the Internet came along. People have a lot more choices. You want to buy a daily, you know, quick. You can see thousands of them, you know. And most of them are going to be less expensive than mine. And most people shop for style, but they also, cost is a big thing. So our clients tend to be wealthy, uh, and they they know they're paying more than they have to, but they're getting something that that is more unique than the other stuff. Uh, But as time went on, and the Internet, and, you know, the the offshore products starting to flood the, the market. Uh, we began having difficulties. Uh, and uh, and as, it, as it evolved, we end up getting projects that you just cannot buy off the shelf. Like, you cannot buy a 20-foot dining table. They just don't exist, you know? So the standardized stuff, we, we do some of that. We still do it um, if we want them, But usually we get the larger stuff, the bigger stuff, or, or the more unique stuff that just it does not exist uh, off the shelf. So that's... That's sort of how how it's evolved, and I have a team of uh, of really skilled people. I also teach at the School of the Art Institute here in Chicago, and uh, that's a great source of talent for me. I mean, a lot of a lot of my some of my students want to want to do uh, internships, for example, and you know they get college credits for it, and it takes them away from the sort of theoretical uh, you know, university environment into a more real world kind of situation where we're fighting for survival and we got to come up with crisis and, and we've got to hit deadlines. And we uh, and have deadlines in school too, big, but this is, we eat it up because it's like, hey, this is what it's really like out there, you know. And uh, so I get a lot of help with sort of a a, a a pretty high turnover rate because they graduate and move on. Uh, but, uh, but there's always new kids coming in and uh, that's a and, and I like I like working with that age group too. They're a lot of fun, and we joke around and have a good time. And uh, and we work really hard as well. Uh, but uh, and then I'm I'm sort of like a conductor, right? And i mean, I'm, I've got the baton, and I'm standing up on the little pedestal, waving <laughs> my hands and calling shots. Uh, and they pretty much do what I ask them to do. But <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, I do uh, uh, offer for them to put their own ideas. And I don't want I don't want to be. I'm not really a dictator. I'm kind of a more of a democratic designer, uh, but eventually it comes down to you know you have to make decisions, and uh, and then my clients help too because they're the ones like I was saying earlier, you know they 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 direct us uh, about what they want, and that helps make decisions a lot of times. And I have full-time employees as well, and mostly I keep a fairly small staff. And what I do is I have a, a vendor uh, that I use that. Uh, He's right down the hall. We're in a gigantic loft building here on the Near West Side of Chicago, and there's quite a bit of fur- quite a few furniture people in our building. And uh, there's one particular company that I really like, and I've been working with them for maybe 15 years. So they know what I want. Uh, I mean, I give them real precise drawings as well, wow. but uh, they know my style, they know my detailing, and um, they can do a lot without you know running to me with a question every time. Although they still, you know, I want them to ask questions if they have them. but uh, but they're a, a very trusted uh, a vendor that creates. Now I made this 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 uh, this humidor myself with my my uh, my coworkers. Generally, it was because I didn't really, I couldn't give him specific drawings. I had to do a little bit, look at it, stand back, maybe have the client come over, do a little bit more research stuff like that and and that would have been harder for this for going to a vendor usually when, when i go to a vendor it's more of a, a piece that uh it doesn't have such uh really strict uh um you know qualities like the uh like the the, the 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 humidor i mean that's got real specific things that it has to perform as uh and so that was why i made that one myself but uh Mostly, uh, my, my real business model, is, like I said, design, sales, marketing. I, once I get the design drawn up and, and concluded, I hand it over to the, my vendor. He'll give me a price. I put my percentage onto that and then we sell it to the client. So, and then that's all they do is they all, they're they not really designers. They're, they're makers. So he's, he's got this company he has uh, some really skilled uh, furniture makers and uh, they're right down the hall, which is beautiful because I'm there like, two or three times a day, you know, just just walking there. I like watching the process, but also I can, you know, say, hey, you know what, that, let's make that, that door pull a little bit bigger or, you know, whatever it's going to be. Little, the, the, I, I still have my hands in it in terms of uh, making some minor adjustments that just didn't show up on the drawings. Right, right.
0: So last thing I wanted to get into before uh, I let you do whatever shameless plugging you may want to do is um uh, i'm I'm curious to know whether there's a a piece you've done in the past that you thought was especially fun or exciting and maybe something that you've never done that you've thought to yourself repeatedly you know i'd I'd love to do this, maybe you've got some idea floating around in your head that you haven't quite gotten around to executing or whatever it may be oh,
4: yeah I mean I've got a lot of stuff i mean there's projects that you know we did a certain amount of design work on that never came through. I mean, so, like, my business is sort of like a mini-architecture business, and that's what I compare it to. Uh, it's very similar to that. And I know my architect friends, they're always doing competitions, and they are not. They don't always get the projects, you know? We usually get the projects that we're designing for, uh, because they've already pretty much decided they want us to, but if you're uh, a, an architecture firm that have got five other companies that are are submitting designs too. And then the customer picks the one they want. So all those designs that they spent so much time working on never got made, but the designs are still there. So I've got a lot of that stuff too floating around. And uh, and as far as like, uh, I mean, as a designer, I'm kind of like I'm only as good as my last piece, you know, because I guess if there's some sort of insecurity, like you kind of keep proving yourself every time. I don't know why, but, but uh it's so the the newest pieces are usually my favorite pieces. I mean I have other ones that that are sort of you know, you, you sort of hit a home run on it's like sort of James Taylor's uh, Fire and Rain where everybody loves it and he has to play it at every concert and stuff like that. You know, so there's a few of those that, that and they'll 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 sell. But usually uh usually a design will last for a year or two or three out there where you get, I don't know, I don't know how this happens, but you know, then all of a sudden it slows down and it's not like the, you know, cause I, I hope that my designs are pretty timeless, I mean, but they do seem to like, uh, you know, there's an energy created by doing you know, new work that is intangible. And I don't know, somehow it makes it true, true, true to our clients or, the, or, or whoever's looking at our work. So, uh, but I don't have a particular, you know, thing that I'm just burning to do. I mean, I have, I have things that uh, in, in my, you know, in my repertoire of, uh, uh, my design files that I'd love to do, but there's so many of them. I, I don't really know which one to pick next. But sometimes I do, I just go, you know what? I, I've just got, you know, you wake up and you go, yeah, I remember that I, I did that design. I really want to do it. So I just do it. You know, unless unless it's really big, of course, you know, the things you do on speculation tend to be a little bit smaller, like a bar stool, for example. If you come up with a beautiful bar school design, you know, that can sell over and over and over again, and usually they're multiples or dining chair, you know, six or eight or something like that. But personally, I like doing the uh, sort of more whimsical kind of uh, creative pieces that kind of put a smile on people's face when they see it just because there's something clever about it or you have you walk up to it and you're not really sure how to open it, you know, if it's a cabinet, like a, a door so. And you can see that it's a cabinet, but you know, there's no, there's no regular like the humidor has a real obvious pull, but a lot of times we'll do things that are more whimsical, and you kind of have to figure it out, and uh, and uh, and then once you got it, I mean, it's not really that complicated. But at first, you don't really know how it functions, and I kind of get a kick out of that. That's kind of fun to to watch people explore it, and then as soon as they figure it out, they always smile. You know, so I like putting a smile on people's faces whenever I can.
0: Absolutely. So, like I said, uh, I think we'll we'll wrap it up with uh, letting you shamelessly plug whatever you want to whatever you want to plug here. If you (laughs) want to throw out some URLs or whatever people may want to do to follow you on social media, um, where where should people go and how should people get in
4: touch? Well, uh, I don't really have a major plug or anything like that. I mean, um, Lee Weitzman Furniture—that's the name of my company. That's where you would go, and if you if you type that in. Uh, it'll probably take you to the website. Uh, social media, we, we go around with uh, Instagram. But uh, a lot of our work in uh, our business comes from word of mouth. I mean, that's one of the toughest parts of maintaining a, a, a successful business for me is, um, you know, there's been some slow periods where, you know, you don't, you're don't wondering, well, what's going on? The phone's not ringing. we were finishing up our last project. And then all of a sudden, you know, something will come through and then another thing will come through. So it's it's kind of a roller coaster as far as that goes. Uh because we don't have a really you know, we're small company, we don't we're not we don't have real deep pockets here. And uh so I can't go on a you know two hundred thousand dollar, you know, advertising campaign or start doing full full color ads and all the glossies that I'd love to do. So there's an element of uh frustration and not being able to do as much as I, I want and w- wish that we could do that, but you know you live within your means and, and try to try to reach out there as far as you can. So the best thing, if you could somehow remember my name, be uh, you know, Lights and Furniture, uh, that would be where you would go uh, to to find. And our website is our is the tip of our spear. That's that's where we we really really inform people and we try to maintain that and keep putting new pieces up there.
0: Good stuff, and I'll just note for anybody listening that uh, it's Lee Weitzman, W-E-I-T-Z-M-A-N, right? That's correct. Good stuff. All right, well, thank you very much, Lee. I really appreciate it.
4: Yeah, okay, Nick, and uh, keep me posted on uh, what's going on and anything else we can do. If you have any more questions, feel free to give me a call, and I really appreciate you uh, uh, doing this interview with me. It was good. I was kind of looking forward to it. I'm all dressed up and everything. (laughs)
0: I can't say the same for myself. I'm not dressed particularly well right now. I wear
4: shorts and a t shirt. Okay. All right, man. Thanks Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. See you.